0: This is a Hot Pie Original. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the Inhumane Podcast, a Hot Pie Media Original. We are here with episode 11, and we have Mary Schwatka, which I may have butchered her name. However, um, she is a forensic um interviewer nurse she works with human trafficking victims out of ohio um mary just has such a wealth of knowledge and like she works with victims r- during actual human trafficking Uh, stings, right? Like, so law enforcement goes into an operation to take these traffickers down and she talks to the victims right then and there. Uh, She's done it when she worked um, in hospitals and ORs and things of that nature. So she's been in this game for a long time. She has just this immense, powerful, intense passion to stop Human trafficking, Um, her and I have chatted and are collaborating on so many different things to not only stop the demand, but also to help these victims to prevent it and to get the community, as you know to help us in this fight because we can't do it without you. Um, we, we fail every single time. So we need you, the community. And so you're going to be so excited um, to hear from her. She has some great stories um, One-on-one with victims as well as one-on-one with actual traffickers as well um, I love her boldness um, She's just like a gangster at heart and I don't take that lightly and we need some more gangsters in here um, Because they're bold right and they're not gonna walk away from this from this fight um, It's too important for humanity overall. So let's get started with mary So, Mary, just want to thank you again for coming on the Inhumane podcast. We're so excited to have you with all the thorough knowledge that you have and the work. Like, I can't thank you enough. I thank you enough in person, but publicly, you know, thank you so much for the work that you do. And as you and I have talked many times, you know, the whole purpose is to get more people to join our fight um, and to really raise an army to eradicate human trafficking, not only just here in the United States, here in Texas where I live, in Ohio where you live, but mm-hmm. across our borders as well as you know, internationally because we know the need is there. So, um, you know, I already gave you your bio, but I'd really like to kind of start off with the number one question is, you as a forensic nurse, what is a forensic nurse in the space of human trafficking, if you can explain that to our listeners.
1: Sure. First of all, I want to add, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. I have been looking so forward to this. There's so much, there's so much knowledge that people have to know about human trafficking because it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. Um, so forensic nursing, um, it's also called a sexual assault nurse examiner. And a forensic nursing with human trafficking, labor trafficking or sex trafficking typically works in, an, in a, um, an emergency department. So when a sex trafficking victim comes in and if they are appropriately identified mm-hmm. um, and then the forensic nurses will go and interview them get as much information as we can, hopefully they'll allow us to do a rape kit mm-hmm. and then we contact law enforcement. So that's the big thing, you know, it's FBI, it's um, Homeland Security and the Cleveland Task Force. Um, so in um, and the police department. So that's our job is to make sure that everybody is in touch. Everybody knows what's going on. And eventually law enforcement will come down and talk to the victim. Now, the thing I want to say about that is in Ohio, it's considered a felony if you do not call regarding a sex trafficking victim. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the victim will often say, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want, you know, you know, I have, I have a warrant out for my arrest and they don't have to talk to them. Typically what the detectives will do is they will come in, they'll give them their card Say, Hey, call me if you need me, you know, I am here for you. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. It's like a five minute thing. And then forensic nurses will go back in after they leave and talk with them a little bit um, about what's going on. And then, but you try to get as much information as you can from the victim to the detective. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think sometimes uh, forensic nurses kind of lay back on that. Yeah. You know, because they think that they're, they're pressuring the victim and you're not, you're not because the information that you get from the victim, the name of the pimp, the name of the bottom, where they're being trafficked out of, how many girls are in the stable, what's their ages, Mm -hmm. what ads are you on, um, you know, whether it's plenty of fishes, sometimes the girls are on Pornhub where they do their own little thing, Um, dately.com, erotica.com, monkeyerotica.com. So they have all these sites that they go on and, and that is so important to let those, to let those, to let law enforcement know. Yeah. Um, and, and working with law enforcement and going to their office, I will tell you that there are some girls who have been on 137
0: ads, mm-hmm.
1: you know, but
0: um, yeah, I was just saying easy, easy, 137 ads, like, oh, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Minimum. Yeah. So
1: easy. So um, a lot of times, you know, and it is a lot of times, you know, you go on these ads and it will, the girls will be on different ads. Now, I don't mean to say, I know I'm saying mostly the girls, but it usually is 99% female, sure. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I want to work hard. Um, you and I talked about this about getting male victims on board. We really have to move right. them along. Um, so eventually, when you get this information and you call the detective with it, They're they're gone. The detective's gone. But you're saying, hey, you know, I just I just talked to Susie. Here's what she's saying. Oh, and by the way, she thinks her cousin may be sex trafficked too. Mm -hmm. And and so trying to get forensic nurses to go in there and and just do that. If the victim has been appropriately identified now, I'm talking appropriately identified because there's a lot of things that people don't know in the ED of how to identify a victim. Mm-hmm. But if they're appropriately identified, some forensic nurses do not feel comfortable talking to the victim and getting information and sending it to law enforcement. Um they don't, they, they, they don't want to do that. As far as they're concerned, you know, a lot of them are apprehensive. And I get that. And so they don't want to go that far. Yeah. Um, but I, but if you can, but if you establish that rapport, mm-hmm. and five minutes, cause that's what it takes. If you establish that, that rapport right away, you can get the information. And I have, I mean, I have tons of stories, yeah. you know, about how the information and being a mom, sometimes I kick in mom mode, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, and, sure. you know, and the girls will just, you know, they'll start crying. And, you know, I had one that put her head on my shoulder And all I did was put my arm around her and we talked and we talked and I, you know, basically said, tell me what happened, honey, you know? And then she, you know, she started sobbing, but I got the information that I needed. Why? Because these pimps are putting kids on the street as young as 10 years old. Right. So Mm -hmm. we want to get the kids off the street. We want to get the pimps off the street and the Johns. Yeah. And let the
0: kids know, guess what? This isn't happening. That's right. We're coming for you. Like you and I talked about, we're coming for you, right? So- Um, I love that breakdown. And, you know, a lot of I think a lot of our listeners, especially the community who aren't familiar in this world, um, don't really understand the vital role, right, that a a um, forensic nurse can play. And so I want to kind of circle back to you. You know, you made the comment is. Right. We know a lot of nurses when they interact with a victim, um, they're apprehensive. They're apprehensive to kind of go a little bit deeper, you know, and and I've heard you say it just like beautifully when you say, hey, it's it's our ethical duty. Right. Mm-hmm. And we hear victims all day long, like every survivor that I've talked to in a panel, they will tell you I went and I was in the yard this many times. I was around a nurse this many times or a doctor and they never asked me. They never asked me. They never reached out. And so I never knew that they were a trusted source because they mm-hmm. never did. They kind of just literally um, you know, worked with whatever symptom I had physically, mm-hmm. but they never reached out to go that extra mile. And you can see it in their eyes, and you oh, can see they had fine. the thought right across their mind, but they didn't. So tell me a little bit about um what do you think the apprehension, you know, is. Well, you know, and you you explain that beautifully. Um, I really appreciate
1: that. I think the apprehensions, I think some of it might be people might be a little scared because sometimes the pimp will come up, sometimes yeah. the bottom will come up, and you know, and and nurses get scared because mm-hmm. pimps are Satan incarnate. They are. Yeah, I don't care what he says, but they truly are Satan incarnate. And they, you know, they'll kill you as soon as they look at you. Mm -hmm. So I think they're afraid to to get into all that. So all they and they're nervous. I mean, I've seen them nervous. Mm -hmm. So they go Mm -hmm. in and they're just like, okay, what are your vital signs? You know, da-da-da-da. And then they hand it off to the physician. Well, then the physician doesn't want to deal with it. Uh. They're apprehensive. And then that's where we come in. Yeah. And you know, a lot of us forensic nurses, we have talked about this many times. You got to get into it. You know, if you see a crown tattoo. Or, you know, you see um, a barcode tattoo or you see a tattoo that says family, Mm -hmm. you better sit up and listen. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you don't and you miss what's going on with that victim, you have now sent that victim back to the pimp Mm -hmm. or to the bottom. And I will tell you this, they will get the crap beat out of them like never before. Yeah, And they will have to make more money. They'll have to do more tricks. So. You know it's it's so important, and I love what you said about it's in their eyes. It's oh my gosh, it is so in their eyes. And what they're doing is they are begging you, they're pleading you, please talk to me, please help me, right. especially if the pimp's in the room. Mm. Oh, and I so. would I would tell the nurses I'm training. I would say you know what the best thing to do is just say hey you know we need to get a urine sample on you. Or um, my coordinator used to say you know get an X-ray on you. We need we need to walk you down there. Right, walk remove them. There. Yeah, remove, remove them, them from this because if you can't remove the pimp,
0: that's 99 percent right. of the time that pimp is not leaving. That's right. Why? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. of what the victim say, yeah. right? Now, I think that's really the only uh, one of the benefits of covid, right, because you're not letting that other person into the room across the board. So that's really mm-hmm. one of the blessings of covid because the, the pimp or the bottom can't go in. They're waiting. They're absolutely Don't waiting on the outside, race. right? But they're mm-hmm. not in the room nowadays, like they they were pre pre pandemic. So that's the only, I think, good part in a lot well, of spaces. The
1: pro- yeah. The, the the problem with that though is a lot of times the victim will say, um, "That's my uncle. Mm, that's right. my
0: father." You know, mm-hmm. or that's
1: my mom. No, they have to come in. That's my mom. No, because, you know, in Ohio, they're allowed one extra person. Oh, OK, OK. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, I mean, they couldn't go up on the floors with them, but they were allowed in the ED. Sure. OK, sure. But, you know, and the victims are told that they are told mm-hmm. that before they go into that emergency department, they are told by that pimp, you are that bottom. You tell them I have to stay. Don't you dare tell them I, you know, right. I can leave. Don't you dare. Yeah. Because the, you know what's going to happen to you.
0: The so, threats are the threats. I think that's what the community doesn't understand is the threats start from day one and they never end until they are completely removed. So when we and this is a totally other episode, but when we have right. that conversation of like uh, or the community's thought process of, well, why don't they leave? Of course, if they're threatened, why don't they leave? I'm like, Well, when you're threatened. You don't leave. You know what I mean? The fear is there and here they are around. They're in a crowded space in an ER, for example, crowded space. And yet they still can't get away from that pimp because of the actual fear. And unless we do our part as a community and, you know, when it comes to forensic nurses right, or just in the medical profession, I really relate that to when I was a a teacher in the public school. Mm when. We are just educating kids. You are not treating the whole child, right? And there's all these studies on it. And it's the same thing in the medical space: is if you're just treating the physical symptom that is visible, you're not treating the whole person. So, teachers, I've always said, you're you're a social worker, you're an educator, you're a pseudo parent. You, um, you know, are feeding the kid. You know, so on and so forth, and it goes on and on and on. So, I find that it's. So, so correlated when it comes to the medical field. And I think that goes back to us when we work in these silos and we're like, oh, I'm just here Mm to, you know, treat the physical, the physical aspect and not realizing is that's why they're hiding in plain sight. They're walking through us every Mm -hmm. single day in our profession. And this, and honestly, we can even go further, uh, go a little bit deeper. And the administration, the administration, when they're checking these victims in, what are they? Are they trained? Right? Like, are they looking? They're not. We know we're totally avoiding training them, and that is actually the first line of defense, in my opinion. First line no, of defense. I agree with you.
1: No, mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, um, where I worked before, um, I will tell you, um, the hospital in Cleveland I worked. I mean, I did a lot of teaching with them because I worked straight nights, so I was I lived there. Yeah. You know, so um, <laughs> I I worked with them all the time. I gave talks to the physicians and um, the residents and the fellows, hey! and to mm-hmm. all the nurses as well. So if a victim came in and the, and they were like kind of on the fence about it, I told them, yeah, I want you to call me because you're right. Sometimes, sometimes they would just be like, okay, go sit over there. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, go sit over there. Meanwhile, the victim is shaking mm-hmm. because he or she is with this pimp or the bottom and they're terrified. Yeah. And now you're telling them to go sit down. Mm -hmm. So that's why education is so important. And you're right. Educate administration, educate um, the registered nurses, Mm -hmm. um, specialty nurses, OR nurses. Right. Because many times victims can be identified in the OR. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Right. So that's really, that's really education is the key. Mm -hmm. And the more we know, the more effective we're going to be. That's why being on your podcast today is so, so important to me because you know, if, you know, if we delve into it, I want to show, I'm going to tell people how you can tell if someone's being sex trafficked, mm-hmm. you know, prostitution and sex trafficking is not the same thing. Right. Even though, you know, she's just a prostitute. And I've heard cops say that too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, she's just a prostitute, you know, she's just this, and there's such a lack of understanding right. what a sex trafficking victim goes through. And it can be anybody, Antoinette, we talked about this too. It can be anybody. It mm-hmm. can be the five-year-old down the street or the 14 year old little sister. I mean, so, right. You know, that's why I'm so passionate about this because I've heard the stories I've seen the beatings. Mm -hmm. um, It's just time to stop it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, We're totally going to bring you on for another segment so that we can really go through the like identifying pieces and some of those stories because they're so, they're, they're essential and it's not limited to one side of town. It's not limited to one state, one city. Um, this is just across the board. So we're definitely going to have you on so that we could, uh, dive deep into that piece. Um, so one of the questions I have for you is, so here you are, you're, you're, you know, you're a nurse and what led you? Into right this this complex yet dynamic um, dark world of of human trafficking.
1: Well, you know what? It's not it's not a very amazing story. But um, a few years back, I used to do home care, and I did home care in the inner city. Okay. Um, and you know, I went to some pretty bad spots, but it was okay because I learned an awful lot. Oh. Uh, but I took care of a lot of the police officers' parents. So okay. the one day I was actually was a police officer. I went down to the station because she had some questions about her mom and we're sitting there and we walked back out to my car and I said, Oh, I said, look at that 16 year old. You know, she's, she's prostituting herself out. And she looked at me and she said, what makes you think it's prostitution? Why can't it be sex trafficking? And that really, I mean, I was upset with myself, you know, and she said, do you even know what sex trafficking is? Hey. And I was like, I, I guess not. Right, right, you know, right. Yeah. It, she gave me a crash course and then I would go into the police station and then, you know, the officers, the detectives would just talk to me about sex trafficking, what it is and what it is not. And it's not a very exciting story, but that wow. that kind of was like, you know what, I really, really mm-hmm. want to be a part of this. And so to be a part of this, I have to get okay. further education. So yeah. that's where the French first came into piece.
0: You know, Mary, but I, I, I you're so funny when you're just like, it's not a very exciting story, but. <laughs> I, I think it is. because, And let me tell you why. So one, um, I, I did a talk. Uh, it was last month in March. And they wanted me to tell my story of how same thing, right? How I got into into this world of anti-human trafficking. And it kept popping up in my world where, right, where, where I lived, I kind of shared that story with you before. And the thing is, is I think a lot of us who've been in this space for a long time, we kind of fell into it, right. And because something came in front of our eyes and then we got educated on it and we can no longer unsee it. Right. Right. And then the passion kind of ignited inside of us. And then here we are like full charge of, we're going to help stop it and fight it. (laughs) And, and that's kind of what I, I tell other individuals who part of the community, when we're trying to bring them in and tell them, Hey, you can help us stop this. They're like, but I don't have, you know, what you have. And I'm like, Oh girl, let me tell you, I was not in that space at all whatsoever. I wasn't in law enforcement. Right. I would, when I first started seeing it. And so the goal is when you learn about it, And know that it's happening in your world, in your environment, in your community. Can you just now unsee it and move on with your daily life? Oh, you cannot. Right? Or is it really like, oh, my gosh, this is happening in our first world country, right? Where we have all these luxuries, even kind of the poorest individual has a different luxuries and circumstances and in some third world countries. But can you just unsee it? Can you just walk away? And that's, I think, when they hear our stories, knowing like, hey, like, like you said, you were just walking with her like, oh, that 16-year-old. She's prostituting herself, right? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Actually, why can't it be sex trafficking? Well, what the heck is sex trafficking? Right? Like, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing how we all kind of came across this. And I, and it's the same for other people. You're sitting in a, like the, another talk I did, it was at a church. It's like, you're sitting in a a church, didn't know that this conversation was going to come up. Now, what do you do about it? And I think that's how we continue to raise this army is, um, educating them. It's got to light something inside of you, whether it's, it's anger, Right. That this is happening to children. Or wow. um it's just straight empathy and compassion. Or, you know, any, I'll take anything, right? I'll take mm-hmm. any emotion no, no, that's gonna drive you to actually mm-hmm. take, you know, action, such as, you know, yourself. Like that's what you did. You took action. Now, in regards to action and like nurses, right? We just kind of talked about like how yes, they have some, you know, there's fear and and I totally get that. Um, I think same thing, right? When we get educated and we learn and there's policies in place, that fear starts to diminish, right? And you know that there's support and you know that law enforcement, your legislation, uh, legis- you know, your representatives, they're supporting, they're behind you. That kind of eliminates that fear, right? And then like you, that's just like another uh, piece of armor you get to put on when you're going right. into the fight, right? So. Mm-hmm. Explain to us because there's tons of nurses, right? And, and right now, nursing and the word COVID go together, right? COVID, the pandemic, nursing, that, that is the, the focus. And, Mm -hmm. um, my university was a, had a very prominent nursing school. So I have tons of friends that are nurses. And I think, um, with the increase and always the high need of nurses specifically, tell us what kind of an impact can and do nurses actually have with a human trafficking victim?
1: Oh, uh, you know what? There's there's several. But first of all, I want to say about the nurses in COVID. Mm-hmm. The nurses that worked in, in the ED, um, you know, frontline personnel, paramedics, you guys are totally amazing. You have saved so many lives and you're so good at your job. And hopefully, the, uh, hopefully, a friendship between a nurse and a doctor may grow a little bit out of this. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just, I just had to say that the first uh, responders and the nurses, um, you guys are totally amazing. You hung in there when the, when the going was tough. And I just want to commend you for that. Awesome. So, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so it, as far as like um, the, um, the nurses, how they, how they can impact You know what? I will tell you what. A sex trafficking victim does not trust a doctor. Mm. A sex trafficking victim does not trust the police, law enforcement in any manner. But a sex trafficking victim will trust a nurse. Mm. Why? Because we're kind. We're compassionate. We want to find out what's going on because we leave the room and also you're sobbing. Or, you know, we're watching you with that, your behavioral, your 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 body um, language with that pimp or that bottom, you know, and nurses are nurses are very uh, detail oriented. Mm. You know, we make sure that we are looking at the whole picture. Yeah. And when when a nurse goes in and, you know, she shuts the curtain and she pulls up a chair and says, how are you? What's mm. going on? Yes, you yes, know? yes. Mm-hmm. So you know and that's important don't do not I used to teach um my nurses do not ever stand over a victim if i come oh. in and i see you standing over a victim right you no know, i'm going to have you leave the room because you know, because you know what, that looks like you're better than them. Mm. Now I know it's not like that. Some nurses are really, really busy and, and they're like, okay, what's going on? But you have to pull up a chair, Yeah, you know, and you can hopefully tell a friend, I'm going to be in here for a few minutes. Do you mind looking after bed seven for me, you mm-hmm. know, and tell the physician, I'm going to be in here for a few minutes. Just let me talk to her and, or him. And when you do that, you have now established that rapport Oops. because what people don't know about these victims and maybe they do is that they are scared as all get out and they're scarred mm. and they're angry and they will, they they can check you out within five minutes. They know if you're, play, they'll, you know, they, you won't know if they're playing you. That's right. Or, you know, if they're, if they'll know if you're lying, they will know if you actually care, mm-hmm. but nurses, any nurse can really impact a, a victim and, And I, when I was at the hospital, there were several nurses. I I was really, really busy one night. I think I had a couple of sexual assaults or domestic violence and a human trafficking victim came in. Um, Well, the nurse came up and said, hey, you know, Mary, we have this victim. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, "Um, give me one minute. She was, okay. So she went in, she spoke with the victim. She came back out and she said, okay, here's what she said. Mm -hmm. This, This nurse was not a forensic nurse. She was an emergency room nurse. Okay. But my point to that is, is that she took the time right. to sit down and say, what is going on? What's the matter? You mm-hmm. know, I noticed this. And the victim may very well say a few of very colorful, colorful words right. to the nurse, <laughs> but I, but I want people to understand when they do that, the reason they do this is because they're afraid, yeah. you know, they're not trying to be nasty. They mm-hmm. are afraid. And you need to get over that. You, know, right. you need to get over yourself and, you know, and spend the time and, but nurses can have such an impact and getting stories and understanding and, you know, and just getting them where just getting them where they need to be for that night. Because how mm-hmm. wonderful is it, Antoinette, if that victim can sleep all night long, she doesn't have to worry where the next punch is coming. She doesn't have to worry where the next trick is coming or the yeah. next John. She, you know, she can get something to eat. If she's jonesing, we can give her some Ativan. So how wonderful is that for that victim just to say to her, you're safe. No one is getting, you know, and nurses can do that. We have the power to do that. Mm -hmm. We have the power to go up to a physician, say, look, she's staying in bed eight right now. Here's what's going on. And I'm going to have her stay here. She wants to take a shower, whatever. No, she doesn't want a rape kit, you know just leave her alone. Mm. Leave her alone towards two morning. And the victims love that. They're just like, Oh my God, I actually slept. I can't tell you since I, when, you know, when I slept last. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, that's such a, the key phrase and, and, you know, to the public out there, you know, to our listeners, I can't tell you how many survivors that I've listened to And they Mm -hmm. constantly use that question is no one asked me, how are you? That is such a, one of the most simple, I mean, we ask our friends, right? We ask her, Oh, how's it going? How are you? Like, right. Like we, we ask people that we haven't seen in a long time or a stranger, but Mm -hmm. that is such a powerful question for a victim. And how does it not build rapport? Like it totally does. And like you said, some of them, you're absolutely right. They're sizing you up in an mm. instant and they want to mm. know if you're BSing and they want to know if you really are because everyone has let them down, right? Everyone is taking something from them. So sure. are you going to take another thing from them, whether it's it's power by standing over them? Like, because that's a power stance, mm. right? And and mm. not realizing it, right? But that's a power mm. stance. So are you taking their power away? Are you... um, taking their story away, like we well, can't even imagine, right? The story part of it, um, we've we've exploited that as well in a lot of capacities. So yeah. they're constantly looking um, to see if you're real mm-hmm. and if you're actually gonna help them and if you're actually gonna do what you say you're gonna do. So even something as simple is like, hey, if you wanna take a shower, we could get you a shower. That's mm-hmm. simple. And if that doesn't happen, they're done. Like they're right. I mean, no, exactly. So, I mean, if a victim says, I really want to take a shower, I haven't
1: had a shower all week and then, but they're scared, you know, the the response is the appropriate response is, you know what, I'm going to stand outside. If I can't, you know, I'm going to get our our nursing assistant, Susie, and she's going to stand right here with you. Mm -hmm. You know, law enforcement, our, our police department knows you're here. You are safe. We're going to stand right here with you you know, you want to get dressed, we'll be right here by your side. They have to feel like no one can get to them. Right. And at the hospital, I used to make sure that the victim's name got off the board. Mm. So literally, if anybody walked through, they couldn't see that victim's name. And the victim's name did not come up on the computer. So literally you know, the secretary would say, no, they're not here. Mm-hmm. You know? and so you you are protecting them. And that's the biggest thing. You must protect those victims because they got their phone. Guess who's texting them? That's right. Mm-hmm. You know, guess who's trying to call them? Guess who's telling them? You better get out of there. You better yeah. get out of there. So, you know, having having a nurse go to the bedside and just say, how are you? What's going on? And I guarantee you, Nine out of ten times, when they when you say "How are you?", they just start crying. Mm. They, they they look down. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. They're blaming themselves for being sex trafficking victim, which right. you know, okay, um, you know, and they'll they'll look down. And sometimes they'll write things on a piece of paper for you. Sometimes they'll cry. I've had I've had them where they went to the corner of the room, stuck their thumb in their mouth, and rocked back and forth mm-hmm. because trauma is so great since the time they were four years old. Right. And now there's team mm-hmm. so you know it, it's just that they can have the impact and but you know there is like I you know, like I know i'm I'm beating a dead horse, but there is so much education that needs to be put out there, and so if if you know if one of your listeners are at Walmart, okay, mm-hmm. and they see a beautiful girl, you know, she's dressed in the nines and she's walking through Walmart, okay, and some older guy it doesn't always, but some older guy is walking in front of her okay Mm -hmm. and if you know if she slows down and he he's got to go grab her or whatever he will and he'll say something to her Mm -hmm. if if you suspect something say something yeah you know and you know I used to tell the nurses you know I won't be mad if you call me three o'clock in the morning and you're wrong I will be mad if you don't call me three o'clock in the morning and (sighs) you screwed up you know what I mean right yeah so um you know and and there's a lot of ways you can do. I mean, yes, you could call nine one one. You know your local police department and just say, you know, you try to get as much information as you can. Right. You can call your task force and say, you know, I just saw this. Where, you know, where were they? You know, where were they going? Um, did you get any other information? Mm-hmm. Because the more information you get, that's the better right. off it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So even if you know if that guy's the pimp. And, you know, and you're describing them to a T
0: that task force just might know who you're talking about. That's right. We say this all the time, right? Is that we think it's a single incident and not realizing again, it's a business, right? Mm -hmm. So these individuals, they're not trafficking one person and this isn't their first incident. And law enforcement may already have eyes on them for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. So it just adds right to when it comes to the legal aspect of it. That's just another charge. That's another, mm-hmm. you know, so so the more info we give, the better. Now, I do have a question for you in regards to you mentioned, I mean, we know why survivors or victims don't trust law enforcement, right? We most of law enforcement and for a very long period of time um, and still today, we think that they're not the victim and uh, and and it's changing. We've shared that on the it's show. Changing. It's changing in mm-hmm. the education um, and you have a lot of law enforcement that are so involved and they want to stop this as well. And they see them as a victim. So we mm-hmm. get that. So tell tell us real quick, why do you think, or what are the reasons why a victim doesn't trust a doctor?
1: Because the doctor will go in first of all, doctors they they don't pull up the chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we try to teach them that, but it usually goes way over their head. yeah, um, but you know, you know they go in and they're so busy, especially the emergency department, especially mm-hmm. the residents, you know, yeah, um and they're going in and they're trying to you know talk to the victim and If the victim gets the feeling that this doctor is going to call somebody, Mm. if she or he does not trust that physician, because maybe the physician said something, maybe the physician looked a certain way, maybe the physician, you know, ran out of the room to pick up the phone, you know, to call law enforcement or whatever, you know, and that's their job. Right. I I get it. I get it. But um, a doctor, um, how can I put this? A doctor is announcing his, his or her authority okay fair enough yep Mm -hmm. authority and you know sometimes you know sometimes there is some victim blaming so sometimes you'll have you know authority at one level you know and you know the victim at another level Mm -hmm. and it all depends on the physician it depends on their personality it depends Mm -hmm. on how busy they are i know it sounds crazy but it's true oh yeah and you know it depends on you know, yeah. Do you, do you care about what's going on? Mm-hmm. Because if that victim does not think so, because that victim thinks because you're an authority, yeah. law enforcement's an authority, you're going to call and say, guess what? We have this girl down here. Do you know what I mean? You're right, and right. that puts them off that mm-hmm. the, the victims will not talk to the physicians. I mean, they'll say why they're there, maybe for sure. an STD check, but they're not going to, they are not going to tell them
0: Jack yeah. for the most part. So really, it comes back to bedside manner as usual, um, which Mm -hmm. we know already with with doctors and just yourself going right. You're like, can I not be treated like a number? So when it comes to an individual who's coming in, like you mentioned, they have this fear, they have this trauma um, and we're treating them that way. They're done there. There is no no trust. Trust is really for them. Trust is has to be earned. Right. Um, And honestly, I'll, I'll tell you a quick, quick story. Um, I had went in, um, of course, a a bunch of my appointments, like my physical exams and things like that, annual, um, were scheduled in March of 2020 when the pandemic hit. So all of them were canceled, right? And it took me forever to get them back in. So this was probably about two months ago and I go to get an annual checkup and I have my mask just a little, I have asthma, so I have to kind of like pull it here and there, right? And um, the this was a new uh, PA, physician's assistant, um, which is interesting because they're both named Brittany and the one I've been with for like 12 years, she's a Brittany. So I thought it was the mm-hmm. same Brittany. They didn't, they didn't let me know that. Um, so anywho, she comes in and she peeks through the door and very authoritative. She says, I need you to put your mask on, like just really bad bedside manner. And I just look and I said, well, hello to you as well. Like mm-hmm. that was my reaction is hi there, you know, <laughs> before you start telling yeah, me what to like, do. So awesome. I put it back up. She's talking as she's walking and it's not that the, the room is very big, but she's talking and she's walking and she's like, hey, I don't know where you got this, but it's not from here. And she's just basically telling me that everything I called about as I'm wrong because it mm-hmm. didn't they didn't prescribe it there. And um, I stated I said, no, my doctor did prescribe it. Right. And uh, I'm kind of giving her and I'm, I'm being very cordial. Nice. And and I said, did you even read? my record? Cause I see that you're new. So obviously this is the first time you're interacting with my uh, records. Have you read it? Um, so then she's like, Oh, well, let me, let me read it. So again, already we're, we're on a, I think a bad foot, but mm-hmm. I have the fortitude to be calm, <coughs> explain it to her. Right. So on and so forth. So I said, Hey, I, I just want you to know I have asthma. So I periodically move my mask like this. Mm -hmm. She then pushed herself away from her desk with my records in hand, kind of flying across the air, throwed herself against, like I said, like against the wall. She's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't serve you if you're if you're gonna remove your mask. I just can't. I can't do it. And I said, whoa. I said, I need you to calm down. I said, I didn't say anything about removing my mask. I said, you are a medical professional and I need you to act accordingly. Um, and so she, she says, well, you just need to wear your mask. I said, my mask is on, you're not listening, like you're not listening to me. Um, and I, and she says, well, we're going to have to reschedule if we, and I said, are you going to act like a medical professional or not? So Mm -hmm. she kind of calmed down and I said, so we're okay. You're fine. Like I'm, I'm having to treat you all of a (laughs) sudden, right? (laughs) Like I'm having to treat you. And, and because we're in this space, I am constantly thinking holy moly, do you treat victims this way? Oh, I'm sure. Right? Like 100%. If you're treating me this way, there, I have 100% believe that you are treating others this way. And that means you are no longer a trusted source at all whatsoever.
1: Well, you know what? And, you know, you made a good point. You know, She comes in and she's very, you know, authoritative. And, you know, what does that do? They automatically put you on the defensive. You know, you're on the defense now. Right how a victim feels. That's right. You know, he or she's just been raped by mm-hmm. a trick, by trick or or John. Yeah. They've just been raped, brutally raped. Yeah. A rape, brutal anyway, but then you know, it can go a lot for a step farther. But, you know, so they've been brutally raped. You know, um, they're raped 30 times a day, 40 mm-hmm. times a day. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-billion dollar business, like you said. So they come in. And they're hurting, you know, they have some, you know, discomfort, um, in the lower half or, you know, whatever, or they're having bleeding and they're coming in and hoping they get a female Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then that female comes in and acts like that. You have just shut that victim down. Nice job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If if they can, you know, if they can shut down someone, you know, like like us, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and clearly they didn't, but I mean, you know, generally talking, right. if they can, if they can do that and how we feel, yeah, you know, we feel like, okay, did I do something wrong or whatever? Mm-hmm. Think how a victim must feel.
0: That's exactly it. I was absolutely like, and that's because I'm checking my emotional intelligence, even when she walked in that way. Right. I'm just like, I'm still calm. There's nothing. I'm like, clearly she's having a bad day or I'm just a number or what have you. So I'm totally unbiased. Cause I'm just, like I said, checking my emotional intelligence, but that is literally the first thought. It wasn't about me and like, how you, how dare you treat me this way? It was really like, oh my gosh, if a victim comes in here, you missed your opportunity. Mm -hmm. And how many have come through? Cause uh, it it was a, it was a, a, you know, a female doctor and uh, for female parts and all that good stuff. So, but that was exactly, I'm like, if she came in here, you didn't do your duty. And that's how I say it. And granted, I'm not a nurse. I I have not taken that oath or anything along those lines, but I just feel like that's why we're here, right? Is to help people. And your bedside manner makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, um yeah. right. And so, so Mary, I just want to tell you that quick little story because I was appalled oh, I by it. I love that story. That's but, great. <laughs> um that was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone, so we are going to push pause here with episode 11 and we want you to come back next week and listen to episode 12 to episode 12 with Mary, um, the forensic interviewer nurse. She has a wealth of knowledge. We're going to talk a little bit about the huge operation. Um, Autumn Hope out of Ohio. They found 44 missing kids in that trafficking ring. So you don't want to miss it. And um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at HotPieMedia.com. The Hot Pie Media YouTube channel